All right, welcome back. Episode 36 of the Young Old Heads podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tommy, aka TV Sports Cards, and I'm here with my good friend, Max, aka Cards Max, aka Cards Max Dallas Edition, aka Cards Max Hair Edition. Max, how are you doing? Yeehaw. I was traveling a bit this week. Most importantly, I got a haircut, and I bought some cards at the Dallas Card Show. I am going to get a haircut this week. That's on my list of things I need to do with my life. But I so. kept it long in the back. Yeah. So if you're watching on YouTube, you know, you, you've been following the journey with our hair. So make sure to check in on Max if you uh, are interested. Max, but you're at the Dallas Card Show. I have never been to the Dallas Card Show. I hear nothing but good things about the Dallas Card Show. So you want to give me your two cents on what went down, how it was? My understanding of its reputation is that it is the biggest regular or semi-regular card show in the country. It is once every two months and you're at its primary large location. And it lived up to being a very strong modern show, arguably the largest modern show in the country outside of the national. Granted, this was my first time flying to a show and it was by far the second biggest show I went to outside of the national. So I will take that to a grain of salt, but it was colossal and fitting of every need that there could be i know in the national itself if you lost a buddy in the crowd you're never seeing him again but the dallas showroom itself is large enough to find your buddies if need be or at the very least you can coordinate a phone call to see where you can locate them point being i'm trying to give some perspective on the magnitude of the space everything is within sight but it's still a very 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 large room with hundreds of tables I'm I'm glad you had some buddies to hang out with, Max. Who are you walking around with? I was walking around with Logan's League, Saratoga Slabs, and Certified Sports. I think it's Certified Sports Cards. I don't know. He's his well, name getting butchered. Well, they it seemed like people wanted a guest this week to talk about the the show, but I guess we're just uh, we're burning all of them this week, right? <laughs> well, we can do some stuff with them. Yeah, well, well, if you uh, are interested in seeing Max at walking around the Dallas Card Show, go check out Certified max's youtube page which i think is just certified sports cards like you said max i want to make sure i get it right all right but max is max is in his uh it's certified at certified cards all right on youtube at certified cards and it's a uh it's a fun little video of max showing off his bgs raw review uh reveal what do you uh what cards were you subbing there max i know we've kind of talked about a couple of them i subbed seven cards it, most of these have been featured on this program already. I subbed a Zion Williamson Genesis mosaic from his rookie year. It was the debut. I subbed a John Morant downtown, a, a Juan Soto Heritage Red Ink 2021. That was the jersey number card that we were talking about a few weeks ago. Yep. I saw a Zion Williamson Optic Choice Red Green Parallel, a Mac Jones One of One NFL Shield from Select, a Erling Holland Green Bubbles from Topps Chrome UEFA that is unnumbered out of 99, and a Mike Trout US 175 rookie card. I'm surprised I got all of those from the top. That was shocking. He just went off the dome there. That was impressive. Yes. Um, I received three nine fives, which was very nice. I was very happy with that. And a lot of other bad, yucky grades. I don't know. Uh, we were discussing this last week on the program. The Mac Jones I bought 
from Golden. It graded a PSA 5 when I bought it. I, I was not the original submitter, but the original submitter graded it, and I got it. Presumably, the original Corona graded it, and I got a PSA 5. I bought it. I'm like, a PSA. this card is not in great shape, but this is a PSA 5. I mean, this isn't a PSA 5. Me and at Certified Cards, his, his real name was also Max, to avoid any confusion or conflation. May sometimes refer to him as Max. But Certified Cards... We had a friend who has a very good grading guy. We had a friendly wager of 20 bucks on grading this at with Beckett RCR. And that I th was thinking that it would be an eight or higher. I was thinking it'd really be an eight. He was thinking a six or lower and a seven would be a, the break even line. And it got a six, five. We didn't really think about the 0.5 qualifier. So he mocked it up as a break even, not my idea. But because it's like, okay, well, it didn't get over an eight. It didn't get a six or under. Got in that break-even range. But, yeah, the card was still a little bit thrash, and it made me a little bit confused on maybe I'm just overvaluing Mac Jones and that it's still a Mac Jones select one-of-one one shield. And we know this isn't preseason, but it's still a Mac Jones select one-of-one one in a Patriots uniform and a shield. But I know when I bought it at Golden – I bought it for $300. The Jamar Chase, that was a PSA 7, sold for $750. So how much does a grade really affect a 101? I think it fundamentally shouldn't. And I'm saying this from a collecting standpoint, not from a flipping standpoint. Because you can't, like, synthesize another one, right? You can't. No. Well, unless you're the uh, Topps F1. Uh, yeah. Unless the, you have some pixie dust. Yeah. Unless you're Topps backdooring it. Yeah. But I ended up flipping that at the show for $500 and made a nice measly 200 bucks on it. I am no longer a Mac Jones one-of-one one owner. Damn, RIP. But the biggest one was the John Morant downtown that was my, I think is my biggest purchase ever. I've touted it as my biggest purchase ever, but I don't think I've, that was $3,000 as a PSA 9 at PWCC. And that graded a Beckett 9.5. So that should be about a $4,000 card. Maybe I can stretch it a little bit farther than that. But when I was looking at the pop report and I was looking at it at PWCC, I don't want to say like I impulse bought it, but like I didn't like fully rationalize it that much. I knew downtowns had the reputation of being very easy to crack and submit to Beckett. And I said this last week, it's like a 25% of the Beckett population is a BGS 10 pristine and 75% or so is a Beckett 9.5. And there has never been a single copy of this specific John Morant downtown, his rookie downtown, that has ever graded a Beckett 9 or lower. Every <laughs> single copy is a Beckett 9.5. And I'll I'll take, I'm not going to bet, um, this is not a sports analysis podcast, I'm not going to bet $11 million on the on the, on the Chargers to win. Oh, know, that was crazy. Yeah, I'm not going to put that much of a degenerate bet, but if it's like, okay, if I can squeeze... 4,000 to 5,000 on this. And there's about, I'm spitballing 30 of them graded or 50 of them graded them, something like that graded by Beckett. Well, I might as well take the, I might as well push the gamble a little bit to see, well, hopefully I'm not buying the absolute worst copy by Beckett of all time. That's a classic cards, max gamble there, <laughs> but wait, Max, I don't know if we've ever talked about this. Like why, why are you raw reviewing cards at a show? Like, why would you, I know you. these are all cards that have been previously graded, and I would just assume that you crack them and resubmit right away. Why are you doing the middle step of the RCR? Because I'm impatient. 
Um, but if we really like, I said this analogy to some of my roommates at the show, but I really think there's two, I'm a chemist. Okay. There are two aspects in any chemical reaction. There's the limiting reagent and the excess reagent. And I view this economically, Tommy, you are an economics guy. You have an economic background. I view this entirely as the two reagents and cards are in any transaction is opportunity and money. And you want to chase as much opportunity as possible until the money runs out. Sure, I guess we can get into time and how long it takes to process an opportunity, but way more times than not, you run out of the opportunity more than you run out of the money. So I was taking it just as if it's any other grading submission, but just with a little bit more cost. Like I would rather, you know, again, putting time independent here. If I sent them all out, they got nine fives. Okay, great. That's cool. They're nine fives now, or at the very least have a very strong chance of being a nine five once graded by BGS. If they're not nine fives, that's a pretty much a crack and resubmit anyway, then submitting them to another place. So I already have another great evaluation on the tack. And really the only difference between that and the normal encapsulation is that, okay, if it goes my way, I'm paying an extra 20 bucks. Or in the case of the John Morant, I'm paying 50 bucks to get it expedited and graded faster. I could have gotten it graded on show for like $100. I think that was $100 or $125 was the same show encapsulation. But I would have rather just done the 20-day same show review. 9.5, great. Well, if it Beckett 9, then, well, I'm getting it out of the Beckett 9 slice and I'm going to send it in again to hope that I don't get a Beckett 9 both times. Maybe. I don't know. That's what at least the thought process is in this mental cognition cog machine going around in my head. Yeah, that, factory workers. Yeah, that, that clip's going in the uh, Young Old Heads Hall of Fame for sure. But can you, I have two questions for you about like the cost of it. So, or, and how Beckett does it. Like, so how much does it cost to get your card RCR'd at a show? And how much, and does that mean that after you get it RCR'd by Beckett, can you just submit that? And you automatically get that grade. Like if you submitted that John Morant to Beckett, it gets a nine five, no matter what. I know. So right now the, the same show review was 20 bucks. I don't want to say that that's definitely going to be the same at every show, especially as these grading companies are going cutthroat against each other. I thought it was going to be like 30 or 40 bucks going in, but I think with everyone lowering their prices, same show review was 20 bucks. The premise that Beckett guarantees kind of, I'm saying kind of because I have a counter anecdote is that if you submit it to Beckett at their sh at the show and you get it submitted as soon as you get it back, that the grade is guaranteed by Beckett. But I know of an anecdote where um, there someone graded a card through Beckett at the RCR station at a show. It came back a BGS 10. They don't give black labels for a raw card review, but they do give BGS 10s on the raw card review. And then he submitted it through Beckett at the same show at that time. And he got back a 9.5. And that's kind of disappointing. That's kind of not cool. Yeah. But um, I had a few other cards and I submitted through Slab Mafia Sports. Mr. Sports, card Mr. Sports Card Mayweather. I gave him the 9.5s that worked. Some of them that didn't work. And I submitted all of them at the $20 level with him, except for the John Morant, which I submitted at $50. Beckett doesn't have declared value limitations, but this higher, the more expensive card you give, the faster you get it back. And I figured if it's a $3,000 card, I will rather get it back in like a week rather than a month. But that's just me. I could have 
gotten it at the $20 level if I wanted to. That's interesting. Well, I'm glad you're out of your Mac Jones 101. That was a disgusting buy. And it's all right. I still own Tua and Zach Wilson. No, thank, thank, thank God you owned high end Zach Wilson. But <laughs> in my head, Max, the Dallas card show is just a lot of dudes with uh, Zion briefcases walking around. Is that, did you find that to be true? Did you find there to be like a lot of dealing between the guys walking around and the dealers? Or was it mostly like people buying cards from dealers? I think it was a mix of dealers to dealers as well as, or rather than I say dealers to dealers, not necessarily being a dealer and having a table yourself, but having the network of knowing like 70% of the tables there in the first place. This was my first time. I didn't have that. I had some buddies I walked around with, but I didn't know that almost every single table I went to was my first interaction with said dealer. But there were people that I knew that knew most of the people in that area. They knew who to go to for good deals. They know who was going to cash them out of which sport who they could get liquidity out of a certain card. And ultimately, I think the biggest thing is that I, I the whole premise of a trade is that you're trading laterally, presumably, because you're presuming that the other person doesn't want your card, but that you're getting out of one card that he can't move and you're giving one card that you can't move. And hopefully both of you can move the cards that you're more specialized or expertise in or that you know you're having difficulty moving. So I had some cards that I sold for at comps, comps, putting it in quotes, give or take, even though I hate putting stuff in quotes, physically in quotes. But those were just items where I would just had them in the bag. They're in the $100 to $500 range. They weren't the big ones. And really, as a buyer, I was targeting baseball. I Almost every single card I bought was baseball. And it was mostly trying to cash dealers out even though i didn't have that much cash nor did i spend all my cash just because i know that i can move most of my stuff online at a slightly higher percentage or hit some moonshots and try to get low numbered stuff that i think i can command even more on that's interesting was that do was i right though about the everyone having a briefcase walking around yeah almost everyone is <laughs> walking around i don't understand because i very clearly i buy in person i sell online even if I'm not buying at 70% dealer rates, I try to buy in person and sell online because I know when you're in person, you're constricted to the comps and every single person that is buying a card, both as a facade and with an act of genuineness, acts like they don't want your card. In some aspects, they only want the card under comps, but they definitely don't want the card over comps. But on others, I can break the comp cast system and say, hey, I'm a little bit of a market. I'm 20 to 25%. And the thing is, I don't even need to say it. I don't even need to pitch it because the buyers of the demographic that want that card know it. And I think, you know, I listed everything on eBay this morning, give or take. I think everything was listed on my snaps and eBay by about two o'clock this afternoon. We were recording at 4.30 Eastern time. One item was a Mike Trout gold refractor from 2014 Finest. And I want to say last sold, I bought it for 80 bucks. Last sold was like a nine at like a hundred or maybe 80 or something like that. And I sold my raw for 150 in an hour just because eBay is able to connect me with that buyer that it sees that I'm newly listed, knows that they need it, knows how hard to find trout early career-ish low number of parallels are. And then boom, it just gets snapped up. In some I have, yeah, I have a uh, anecdote about that. Uh, before I ask you more questions about the show, but 
I uh, this weekend I got a text message from our good friend old man uh, Andrew Oldman slash Buster Posey goat collector, uh, and he sent me a eBay listing for a Buster Posey 2011 Topps Heritage Black Refractor out of 62 raw, and the guy was selling it. I think it was 180 or best offer. I have never seen this car. Black Refractor Heritage Max. We've talked about how rare and cool those ones are. Really? Uh, 2011, so Rookie Cup, which is okay. you know even more important low key to me, and I immediately start offered 125 i was like whatever i can i have a bunch of gold cups i can sell to you know fund this purchase this is i don't think i'm ever ever going to see this card again guy uh counters at 140 i counter 130 he says 140 is low so i'll go i'm having a lot of messages about it card was listed like literally an hour before i just say fuck it i buy it at 140 um then me and him have a DM back and forth. He's like, you know, thanks. I had a lot of messages being like, how low will you go on this? And he was like, seemed like kind of fishy people DMing him, I guess, on eBay about it. And then I, uh, I was like, yeah, man, thanks for the deal. I appreciate it. Like, this is a really cool card. He's like, yeah, I had a buddy tell me at a local show today that I should buy this because it is so rare. And he bought it at a show in Michigan, posted on eBay, and I bought it from him the same day. Same type, type of thing with you with that gold. Uh, Mike Trout, where like, you never know who has the saved search on who has a buddy sending him this link and needs it ASAP. So that's a cool, that's a cool flip for you. And it's not even a time sensitiveness of being ASAP. It's just that they know that it's worth the premium to buy. That's why I know I was joking a little bit with Sir Logan's league that some cards are Logan's league cards and that the stuff for his sale that works is more obscure, low numbered stuff that he can command. I mean, Look, Logan sells great stuff at great prices, but this is speaking from a negotiation standpoint. All of his buyers are getting good deals no matter what. But from a negotiation standpoint, if you can leverage it as low as possible, and especially with me and eBay where I'm trying to get the high specifically, where if I can target, you know, I brought a red Bryce Harper auto, which I thought was really cool from 2016 Finest. And part of my comping philosophy of that was looking at what the close, the newer years go for and knowing that I can kind of tax a little bit for being earlier in the career and they don't show up as often, or looking at orange parallels and then trying to do the map on that. But at the same token, trying to use that more recent year comp as, hey, this is a red auto. I want to get it as much as this red auto, or maybe a little bit lower since we're doing it off eBay. And that's part of the rationale that goes into the stuff. For sure. Um, but I think we covered enough of the theory the buying and selling theory of yours this week. I want to get into the kind of fun stuff. I want to hear what you bought. I want to hear about the deals. Like, do you have any good trade stories, any good people that you interacted with and made deals with that you want to give shout outs to and stuff? Uh, um, and obviously, I want to hear about the cool cards that you bought too. Yeah, I had um, one trade the entire show, which I guess is a little unusual for me. Um, I heard after making this trade that my trade partner threatened to shoot someone at a different card show, something of the like, for being very unfriendly in the trade. So I'm glad that wasn't me. And it shows how hospitable and a friendly negotiator I am that I didn't start that with my trade partner. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> but I'm looking now some of the cooler pickups that I got. I really liked the Bryce Harper red auto out of five that I just mentioned from 2016 Tops Finest. And I also bought a Wander Franco Raymond mascot ultra short print with a rumored print run of 30. I didn't realize, I didn't necessarily get a bad deal on it, but I didn't realize one was listed for 650 OBO right now on eBay. 
So I'm priced a little bit higher on that just because I'm hoping that first listing sells. But when I was buying that one, I, I'll, I'll, one little bit of theory. I I know the want Raymond is from series two, but the, the normal SSP is from series one with him pointing in the sky. And my thinking was that if I could get the ultra at around the price that the super short print does with one fewer S, I figured that'd be a good deal that might've blown up on my face, but I don't think it's going to be a deal where I lose money. There's not, I mean, I don't, I, well, I didn't spend my whole budget at the show. I spent almost it, but I didn't. And I don't know if that means I was too conservative or that sometimes, you know, in your head, should I make this deal? It's not, are you actually going to make money on it? It's, oh, am I going to break even? And more often than not, the break evens are actually break, make monies in the first place. But cards, 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 collect, collect, collect. Another cool one I got was a 2012 Triple Threads Miguel Cabrera Auto Relic out of 18. Nice. What's the, really what's the relic on that? Um, it's just a napkin. Mm-hmm. But it's white jersey. It's cool. Um, that was another situation where I'm looking at newer triple threads and i'm seeing higher sales for that and i'm like okay i'll try to get the older year at that same price um uh chris bryant red bowman auto from 2019 psa 10 i got obviously a veteran auto nothing too crazy on that oh here's an actual one that's like genuinely cool my one basketball pickup from the entire show was you how much you know about 2014 select um i would say a medium amount i actually ripped a pack of 2014 select when i was in my hiatus from collecting randomly and i pulled a damian lillard silver so i know that kind of vaguely but it's a cool set what did you what did you buy so the court sides from or some of the court sides from that set have players in their team usa uniforms including lebron and kobe yeah i know about these i was able to get a psa 10 kobe base or base, but rather, you know, back then select was hobby exclusive and the court sides were still rare, but it's not even comparable to the modern printing standards. And I was able to pick up a PSA 10 non-parallel of the court side of Kobe in the team USA uniform. And I saw that and I'm like, I knew that was a, that's a card. It's like, I can leverage to get this at my eBay price to be much higher than the auction. This PSA 10 ended at. And I bought under the auction that the PSA 10 ended at. So nice. that was meaning they're in negotiation that obviously hasn't sold yet because it's been listed for like three hours. But that's a cool card. I love that. That's kind of looks like a little bit like 2014 Prism Soccer kind of look to it, right? Yeah, like, kind of does. That's what that's what the select year kind of looks like to me. Um, I kind of miss when they would actually switch up the designs of Prism across sports. Not yeah. so much anymore. Yeah, now they just all look the same. From year to year to year. That's why like Tops used to do that with like Tops Chrome and stuff. They used to mix up the design between football and baseball and basketball and stuff sometimes. Not every year, but some years. And I like that. It was kind of fun, but I don't know. Yeah. And I bought um I bought a I guess I now don't own it because it just sold, but a Bowman Platinum Refractor 2010 Mike Trout Auto, PSA eight. Um he doesn't have many prospect autographs. This is one year later after his Bowman Chrome draft. But it's a cool card, and I'm going to probably stare at it for five to ten minutes after this episode because I'll have to ship it later tonight. So that's not cool. And I bought two Otanis. I bought two Otani short print variations. A PSA 9. You know How much do you know about the 2018 Bowman Chrome? Um, I know as much as Ephus Pitch has taught me about Bowman Chrome. 
Sure. Yeah, so he has the batting picture, which a lot of people say is his first Bowman, or they treat it like his first Bowman, especially since it's both a batting rookie card and it's his own. It's his first Bowman in an Angels uniform. He has a 2017 pitching for Japan Mega Box parallel. That's only in Mega Boxes. That's the sickest but, card. That's such a sick card. It's a That's... 2017 card, but this is his first card in an Angels uniform, and I bought a PSA nine image variation of him carrying the bat bag. I got that for about, I think, 85, 90% of the most recent sale. And I cracked and sent to PGS hoping for the best. But at worst, at absolute worst, I learned this the hard way with basketball, cracking and subbing before the season starts and then the season starts and then everything just plummets. That was not smart. So I'm at least going to try and crack and sub stuff that has a chance of going up. And I bought a PSA 10 Top Series 2 2018 short print of Otani in the dugout. He's doing a little wave. I bought that as a means to an end to get into another card, a bat down, Acuna, Trujan Plus, Becca 9.5. I can talk about my cards forever, but those are two Otani cards that I think were cool that I picked up. I love, I could hear you talk about your pickups all day, Max. So don't I ever bought, quit. Oh, here's a fun thing. I bought, well, I guess another theme that I kind of had during the show was buying Beckett 9.5s and Beckett and getting, trying to get True Gem or True Gem Pluses as close to min gem comps as possible or even cases where not necessarily out of laziness with the dealer but just out of like being trying to be easy and dealing to work with if i tried to buy true gem i think i had four different cards that i bought i bought three at dallas i bought one at golden that were true gem plus at that were nine five nine five nine five ten so true gem plus that's what a true gem plus is for min gem comps which is nine five nine five nine five nine and both for cracking and for crossovering and even for monetary value, the Beckett 95 True Gem Plus is obviously a cleaner card and has a much likelier chance to cross over or crack for a 10. If you're sending a Beckett 95 crossover to PSA, I can pretty much say it's a 0% chance that it's going to get a 10. But with a True Gem Plus, you have a very real chance. So I'm going to scratch that. I believe I bought four cards at the show and I had another one from Golden. It is a. 2011 Beckett 95 Bowman Chrome Draft Trout, that which was from Golden from the other episode. A Beckett 95 True Gem Plus Refractor from 2011 Bowman Chrome Draft. I bought that at the show. I bought a 2014 Tops Finest Randy Johnson Red Refractor Auto. That was also True Gem Plus. Naturally. So so random. No, I'm telling you, like from 2014 Finest has like such a cool set of Hall of Frame autographs. I've sold the Ernie Banks from that set before. It's sick. I now have the Randy Johnson from that set. It's cool. Um, I think Certified Cards bought a, bought a Mike Schmidt from that set. It's like a really random year, but it has like really cool like designs for Hall of Fame autos. Interesting. I don't right. think, I don't think it's premium. It's just a cool set. Am I, a cool subset of a set. I respect that. I respect that for sure. Yeah. I also really respect Randy Johnson as just like one of the most collectible pitchers of all time. Yeah, call the ASPCA on him. <laughs> oh my God. Well, Max, I am yeah. a little tired about hearing of your crossovers. So I'm sure. going to ask you sure. something a little more fun where we can talk shit possibly about people. Yeah. Um, did you get to see the platinum Julio Rodriguez while you were walking around Dallas? I didn't, but friend of both of ours, Alex Delco Rips, did and took a picture of it. Um, Alex is a cool guy. Um, yeah, I have some thoughts, I suppose, on the card. What are your thoughts on that, Julio Rodriguez? 
Um, I honestly was kind of out of the loop. I heard that he was maybe the guy is maybe asking for a crazy number. And I didn't hear exactly what that number was. I think he's looking for like no less than $50,000. Okay. How does that, how does that make you feel? I think the Dutch auction way of selling a card, I suppose is smart, especially when you are trying to move it and you recognize that you're trying to move it. It's not a card I would want to hold. I think it was slabbed PSA authentic. Tommy, do you know for sure? Uh, yes, I saw it PSA authentic. I saw that. It's a cool card. I think if you're speculating in it and you're not a hedge fund, I don't think that's a very bright idea to do just because owning the creme de la creme of collectibles is, or at least of a certain player. I don't think for the average human being, even me, I'm a real human being. I wouldn't want to speculate and hold that. I I would buy every single player in baseball right now, pretty much, except for Wander Franco and Julio Rodriguez, just because of the premium and Bobby Witt and Spencer Torkelson and anyone else from that draft year, just because of how the premium of the new players are, because so much is being ripped. And I don't think that's close to Vlad, Soto, Acuna, or any other young star, Otani. Did you see a, our good friend Jason from DCI post about his platinum Nolan Arenado he has? I thought that was a fun uh, thinking game and activity of if the Julio Rodriguez is worth 50 or the Julio Rodriguez is worth X, how much is the Nolan Arenado worth? Did you have any thoughts on that uh, argument or like just the discussion? Uh, Nolan Arenado is a first ballot Hall of Famer or at the very least projected to be one. I mean, God forbid a David Wright situation happens. That's really the only scenario that I see any Hall of Famer like talent, like not getting the Hall of Fame as if they like retired today. Arenado is above Wright, I think at this point. It's like Wright and like Evan Longoria are kind of in the same boat of just like, I don't know. Yeah, that's beside the point. Um, I think the average prediction was like 0.6 to 0.7 of the Julio Rodriguez sale, just be out of recognition that Julio Rodriguez is overhyped right now and that whoever wants it is going to overpay. But I'm a simple guy. When I am posting stuff online, I try to act like a dick and come off as firm as possible when really, for the most part, I kind of just want my card sold. But I'm not going to tell you that. And I'm definitely not going to project that in person. I try to make it known as much as possible that my first offer is my best offer and that you're not going to be able to chip away at me for an extra 10 bucks. But at the same token, how much leverage do you want to tell someone that, oh, the card was 70K today, now it's 50K, and next week it's going to be 30K? I thought it was a little funny. I think not attacking the tweeter, I'm just attacking the idea. But I believe he posted saying that he had people evaluate the car to be worth $50,000 or so. And I responded to the owner or to, you know, to that tweet stating, okay, well, it's $50,000. I've seen several five-figure deals happen in front of my eyes at that show. And yet you're walking out of the show with the card. And every single person in that showroom did not want to sell their baseball. And if anything, wanted to buy baseball. So part of it is what I was alluding to earlier of the very conservative climate of that show and no one wanting to overpay and be wrong and be above comps. But at the same time, there is so much volume going in round in money in that hotel that you could have definitely sold that card 
maybe not at peak value. You might need an auction house at that, but the auction house is definitely going to take its percentage as well. But you could have walked out with cash if you wanted to. And sure, hangers are bangers. That card was from a hanger. And I'm pretty sure the guy is a dude. And I love that. He's just a guy. Yeah, he's just, a, he's just a random dude. He created his Twitter account like right after pulling the card, I think, and like added card purchaser on his first tweet about it. Yeah, to my knowledge, he's had a wild week of flying out to get the card graded and flying to Dallas and so much other stuff. But That's my wild. conservative profile, as risky as I am, and as much as I love to dance with Lady Risk, the conservativeness of my risk profile says to sell the card and get it out of my hands and get as much cash as possible so that I could do real human being activities with it. Yeah, you really want to be the dude who sells the Mac Jones Finite Prism for 100K right after pulling it. That's that's the person you want to be. And my advice to that dude would be take the money and run. But Max, do you have anything else you'd like to say about the Dallas Card Show before I move on to another uh, please give me advice segment? Um, I am pro friends and I am pro fun. And whenever I can use the opportunity to fly out and see my card friends, which are also real life friends, then I will take that as well as if I can use that trip where I'm also making money and at the bare minimum plays for itself and at the best makes a nice little wad of cash, then I would want to use that opportunity every single time it comes up. Tommy, when are we seeing each other? That's I awesome. Got, hopefully got soon. Hopefully soon, Max. Hopefully yeah. soon. Um, but and, uh, I, now that we're switching gears from the Julio Rodriguez Platinum dude walking around, there is an, a more regular purchase decision that I made this week that I want to get your thoughts on. I bought a box of Topps Chrome Update Sapphire from Topps.com for $125. Was that a good decision or a bad decision? Phenomenal decision. Shit, and I agree with that. But here's the big dilemma I have. They're reselling for about $210 on eBay right now. Do yeah, I sell? Do I sell? Do I rip? What do you think? Tommy, what do I say about ripping Pokemon? I don't know what you say about ripping Pokemon. I say, well, okay. Well, I say it a lot sometimes. Ripping Pokemon, you are losing every single pack no matter what. That's Pokemon, <laughs> obviously. But if you are ripping, you're solely doing it for the entertainment value. But there is no scenario where if you rip a billion Pokemon packs, you're going to come out on top. And it gets worse the more expensive the pack is. In sports, we're like math, econ, head, zigzag, up, down, kabang. And we try to find expected value where we're going to make money in our packs. Pokemon is all the way at the end of the spectrum in terms of pure degeneracy. I'm doing this for entertainment and it's okay. Having fun is part of the hobby. Men's sports cards are in the middle where it's if you try to find the right product, then at that point you might be able to do rip packs and have it be statistically in your favor even if not every single aspect has been your favor and that's even with my slab cracking it's like oh i want to make plus ev decisions what we do know about sapphire update and even sapphire in general sapphire regular has no no autographs in the entire product this is way different than it previously being one autograph per box sapphire update i believe also used to have one autograph per box as a sticker auto now they are having autographs numbered to 25 only. And I don't know the box frequency, but I know it's low, considering that it's only numbered to 25 and lower parallels. 
I think that this Sami, I see you beaming. Are you trying to contribute something? I'm going to rip. You totally convinced me to rip. I didn't realize that they didn't do Sapphire autos in normal Sapphire this year. I, come on. That'd be sick. The Julio Rodriguez Sapphire auto. That got to be one of the best one cards you can pull. Thing, like if I were trying to be more of a degenerate like yourself in a respectful degenerate way, I would wait to make sure that the Sapphire update autograph image is the image of him pounding his chest because that's such a cool picture and i think if they deviate from that i don't think it's gonna be worth as much i think i think it is i think i've seen i think i saw a test photo that it is the same okay well if it is that'd be cool are you doing it only because they're 25 or less or because there's a chance that you can even get autos it's the first it's it's he didn't have another auto in sapphire but also i got it at retail it's already reselling it a lot more. I feel like when I look at a rip like this, I look at the high end. Like, what's the best card I could pull? And, like, if I pull that, how crazy is that? And I think if you pull the, like, one of one... You're telling me they only are doing out of 25? They're not doing super... I believe it's 25 and lower. As in there's no base Sapphire Auto, I think. Okay. Well, dude, if I pull that Super Julio or even the Wander, like, that's still Wander's first Sapphire auto you well, know? no one cares about the second sapphire auto but like people care about the rookie sapphire auto yeah they do and that's um, pretty sick so i'm gonna rip so yeah, i, I will report back i bought 10 boxes i think these will safely be like 300 dollars a box that's just my guesstimating given that have, have we done a compare and contrast on this or no because i know we talked about sapphire update last week we talked about did we talk about sapphire update i don't we talked okay. about Chrome update, maybe. Okay, cool. So Sapphire Chrome non-update has a 700-card checklist, give or take. I don't know if it's 660 or 700, but approximately 700-card checklist, two parallels per box, non-autos, and a new image for Bobby Witt, Julio Rodriguez, and Spencer Torkelson, who were image variations earlier in the product. Sapphire update has about a 300-card checklist, give or take to my knowledge i don't think it's at 200 i think it's at 300 but yeah we can correct this if i'm wrong or something about a 300 card checklist with one i think one or two color per box i'm not sure and the chance for autographs but the biggest thing is that the sapphire card is going to be the same sapphire card that is used in their paper and chrome update and I think that fundamentally makes them better cards, even if they are the second update iteration. The biggest thing is they don't have rookie debuts with the out, or they are not only rookie debuts like Wander and O'Neill Cruz are. But I think this makes those cards better. And if Chrome, right, not so factoring in that it's much easier to hit the better cards in update as well as having the chance of having autos and Chrome Sapphire retailed at 300. I don't see why Chrome update can eventually eclipse regular sapphire chrome update sapphire being able to eclipse regular sapphire if the two if the better i think the better product product will eventually win from a resale perspective yeah i i would i'm banking on update being the better product and just kind of i don't know the price of 125 was like shout out tops for doing it like that was the the most recent time you've had a no-brainer buy yeah that was like Oh, I'm never. I'm definitely not going to buy it. To oh, I'm going to buy this as fast as I possibly can. That was my thought process with it. But we'll check in on that. I'm definitely going to rip. Maybe I'll post the rip, Max. I'll I'll videotape this rip and post it on the Young Old Heads YouTube. So at least I can 
counted as content creation. My condolences to your box. Well, when I pull the Julio Rodriguez super auto, you're going to be thankful for the new microphones and cameras that we're going to get for the podcast. Really? Okay. Yeah, we got to <laughs> on and give it back. Yeah. Well, okay. Max, I feel like we've had a great conversation today. Um, do you have anything that you did not mention about cards that you bought recently or sold on eBay that you want to mention before we sign off? Keep doing the stupid thing and love your friends. Okay. Random. I bought a card, one more card. That oh, I thought that was about. like the closing remarks where like I'm supposed to say something like that. No, I have I have a couple more cards. Okay, that well, I also talk about. What, I still stand, what I say still stands true. Yeah, obviously. Um, obviously. I can, obviously. I completed my Marshawn Lynch Chops Chrome Rainbow. I talked about that for a second, but I got it in hand. I posted that on Twitter and Instagram today, so I'm excited about that. I've been working on that for a couple years. Um, made me realize that it's way more fun to go after rainbows that are attainable in some regard and that you're just kind of waiting for a good like copy to come up way more fun than doing this whole i'm going to try to collect every single parallel from 2021 prism or something um and then i bought a 2012 clay thompson out of 49 rookie card from a product called momentum that i have never seen before <laughs> out of 49 though um hadn't bought a rare clay rookie in a minute so i was like just kind of splurged on it that's cool i should have a I, you know, I guess I like, do my, my final thoughts was, um, I guess I had a discussion with was the collector on the last day of Dallas and he was speaking It really was a very interesting thinking exercise. And he was thinking that he went into cards coming to flip and that he wants to still buy cards. The end in essence cards that he finds enjoyed that, excuse me, that he enjoys and that, you can use this, your discretionary income separate from your flipping income to just buy the stuff that you like, but also at the same time, you don't want to feel like you don't belong as a flipper, as well as making sure that you're not just bag holding something that you like to collect that is eventually going to depreciate in value. And I think my perspective on that was that, I think I've talked to you about this before, Tommy, is that the enjoyment the enjoyment per dollar ratio is very very important which i think is why that me and you specifically tend to hyper focus on binder card level cards or stuff that we think is like really really cool but also incidentally cheap because the capital required to enter it is low and it also made me think of the amount of speculators entering a card versus the amount of people that want to collect it, that ratio is also very important. It made me think of Jeff Wilson, who bought a Kyle Trask, I think out of 24 National Treasures RPA. And Tommy, you're shaking your head, but Jeff Wilson is a University of Florida guy. Kyle Trask, he loves Kyle Trask because he went to Florida. And of course, if he can make the play of Trask maybe you know usurping Brady and then becoming the guy in Tampa someday, or something like that. Sure, there is that financial aspect, but for and but there is definitely a collecting component to that as well. If you're Jeff Wilson, and I don't want to speak for him, obviously, but that University of Florida bent is very important. But the wariness of that is 99% of the other people buying Kyle Trask RPAs are doing it not from a collecting standpoint. At least when you get to that high level of a card in a National Treasures rookie RPA, so. I think when you are deciding 
or at the very least trying to commit money to a certain item, the amount of people that are speculating it versus collecting it will determine the volatility. I know I just like, that's a little discombobulated my whole. So no, that was good. That was good. I am just contemplating on it for a sec. Yeah. I'm now thinking about what's going to be more collectible in the future, like random one-on-ones from random products or like higher, like higher end, like common parallels. Yeah. Like non-autos, like platinums, like, like your Mac Jones non Game Worn Shield one of one is that going to be more collectible than like his like Silver Prism? Yeah, I mean it's a one of one rookie at the end of the day. But are we talking more like your third year Uanis Cespedes Green Sapphire parallel? We can also talk that. Like, at what like, point would you rather just like pay up for the more common card than collect the random card like there's so many one-on-ones now that's sort of argument i don't know this is yeah no i think no i think it depends though right because like if you have a bunch of which i think is why like when i'm churning like lower end stuff and if it's numbered and you know numbered and memorabilia or autograph cards you can sell them better because the delta between your base refractor and your gold refractor for a mitch hanniger fourth year is already minuscule so the buyer will gravitate to the best card that they can get for that dollar it goes back to the enjoyment enjoyment per dollar thinking um but you know when you know when sky was asking me like how much did you he didn't ask how much my flipping thinking you know my ink my budget for dallas was but it made me think of my discretionary income for cards versus my flipping in flipping budget for cards and I usually just operate. I got my Labor Torres Dynasty out of five RPA, and I sent that to Beckett this show. And I was looking at, hey, this Labor Torres, I don't really care if it goes to zero. I wouldn't like it, obviously, if it went to zero. But like, it's a card that I have for me. It's from he's wearing a patch from the 2017 All Stars Future Game. It's out of five. It's a rookie. It's really cool, in my opinion. But that's not a card where like I'm invested in the monetary value that much. But the John Morant downtown, respectfully. It's a junky card. I don't care if it's a one-on-one case hit. Panini made a few hundred of them. Sure, it's worth four figures, but it's like I don't see the collecting interest from the John Morant downtown over the dynasty RPA of the guy that you like as much. And it's not just because I like that specific guy. But I'm going to wrap up my soliloquy real quick, Tommy, then you get the floor. I usually just try to buy a cool card if I see it as a cool card and it's something that I like. I bought my Glaber Torres PSA 10 Red Ink Auto at the National because I've never seen one in person. And I love Glaber Torres as a player. And I wanted that in my collection and I was willing to pay market. But I usually am very hesitant buying those types of cards because that is an expense. But if I'm buying a flip and I can make a certain 20% on it or we can make 50 bucks or even I can pay for a burrito at Chipotle on it, I'm going to do it because I know that's just a like it's an expected value play. We're looking at it like an economist. I know that more the more times I make this play, the more times it's going to work favorably. But when buying a personal purchase, it's not that. It's entirely an expense. Financially, it's never going to work in your favor, but you do it because you think it's cool anyway. So I have a lot more caution entry personal purchases. But enjoy the personal purchase if you, if you enjoy them. There you go. All right, Max. That was a good soliloquy to end on. Um, I am excited to rip tops chrome update sapphire and have been daydreaming about pulling the helio super auto since you started talking a few minutes ago so 
Do you have anything to say to the people before we sign off besides just cards? Buy cards, sell cards, trade cards, enjoy cards, enjoy the people that do cards and do what you do unabashedly as long as it's rational. Unabashedly rational. The cards max story. We'll see you guys next week for episode 37. Um, Half a year. Half a year. And we'll be talking, Max, uh, definitely the Ethos collectability rankings probably, right? That would be fun. I think that could be a good next episode. So definitely that. And then a guest coming in the next couple of weeks, maybe in the middle of the week when I drop it. You never know when we're going to drop episodes. Sometimes it's Monday. Sometimes it's Sunday. Sometimes it's Tuesday. Yeah, we got to keep you on your toes. Obviously. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Peace out.